It's a show I'm proud to share with Marco D'Amico and Adam Boucher, and we bring you the best of the action on ice. I'm Andrew Cordero, and first of all, let's channel some social media. First of all, if you're not following us on Twitter, go check us out at the Hockey Flow. That's D-A-H-O-C-K-E-Y-F-L-O-W on Twitter. You can check out Marco D'Amico's work at scrimmageandstats.com, and of course, at the Hockey Expert. And Adam Boucher can be found at really Adam B. Let's get right into it. And the first thing we want to talk about is some of the NHL's proposed changes to the draft lottery, including also the news that we're not most likely looking at a shift in the draft. Uh, so we're probably going to still see that in July, no matter what, which is pretty great to hear. So let's get right into it. Marco, uh, what do you want to start taking off first? What do you want us to talk about with the changes to the NHL draft lottery? Uh, well, definitely the anti-tank rule uh, of the draft lottery, and that is that teams limited to no more than two lottery wins in a five-year period. I call that the anti-Edmonton, now circa New Jersey, New York rule, where you can't win a lottery twice in, uh, more than twice in, in a five-year span. I think that's long overdue. I think that it eliminates long-term tanking from the league and 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 gives rise to general managers that are a little bit more creative. Um, you know, Adam and I used to talk about this all the time, but like, the, you know, for example, Toronto, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, how many top 10 picks, but they only won the lottery once. And they built their franchise, you know, quite well before signing Tavares, in my opinion. So that would be the model to take, not the Pittsburgh Penguin model where they had uh, four uh, Five, no, four top five picks back to back to back to back to back. So it's uh, it's definitely going to be fun. Uh, are actually five top five picks back to back to back to back to back to back. Sorry, I forgot about Ryan Whitney. So it, 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 it I think that's going to be a huge thing. Um, the other nice um, tidbit is that teams are only allowed to jump 10 spots. So we've seen in past... No Lafreniere for, for New York. If that happens, if, if that if that rule was in place, right? Well, they were eleventh, if I'm not mistaken. Were they? So they okay. So they jumped ten yeah, spots. Yeah, no yeah, Chicago, so. no Chicago getting Kirby Dak. Or, well, I mean, with the next rule, no Chicago getting Kirby Dak. We'll get to that. Uh, and then no, um, I believe it was the Carolina Hurricanes that jumped ten spots to get Zvechnikov. So again, uh, very limited. Um, so we'll see where that, what goes from that. And then the third rule is that it's now going to be a, a two seed. Uh, they're looking to make it a two seed lottery and not the three seeds that we currently have right now, which to a degree makes sense. Um, I mean, as a Montreal Canadiens fan, I can't complain because, well, that my team won the third seed in a draft lottery and got Jesperi Kakaniemi. Um, but definitely... Uh, you know, other teams are going to be uh, a little peeve. But what does this mean? It means that teams like Detroit or Buffalo that get consistently... Uh, well, actually, I can't say consistently uh, screwed over with Buffalo because they did win the Rasmus Dahlin uh, sweepstakes. But definitely the Detroits and Ottawas of this world that consistently miss out on getting the top pick uh, every year, uh, well, now will be closer, even closer to the top because the last place team now can finish no later than third overall. So I think this is good, Adam. I think I want to hear from you because we've, we've talked about my opinion of tanking uh, at length. And I feel like this is a course correction for a decade of futility from, from franchises like Buffalo, like Edmonton, like, uh, um, like New Jersey, um, you know, New York at this point as well. I think that now that this rule is instituted and I hope, 
it's not it's gra- it's not grandfathered in the sense that New York cannot win any lottery this year as well, right? Like here's hoping, right? Because they've won the, they've won two years in a row, they should be immediately disqualified from the lottery this year. So that, that's things I want to look at. So I I want to hear your opinion. Like, do you think that this is going to help tanking teams? remove the notion of tanking, make the league a little bit more aggressive with trades. I, I want to hear what you think. Well, well, that's that's actually my reverse question to you. We're going to see for sure less teams trying to get those those bottom spots, uh, given that they could only win it basically two lottery in five years. And also when they basically remove basically a pick from the lottery, right? But there's also the fact would, would teams maybe try and like hold on to their playoff hopes uh for for longer in the season right would you like are, are teams that would in the past have been sellers maybe hold on to more assets because given that now that maybe those higher spots in the draft are going to be like harder to get right um so that's that's for sure going to be interesting i'm the other question i had for you was how do you see the fact that they're keeping the same date for like the July draft? So, that's a huge so problem. So you're, you're going to have a bunch of prospects who played what, four or five months of hockey this year? Or maybe even less in some cases, right? I wouldn't, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that there's a very good chance that the top three of the players of, in the top five of this draft this year played for the University of Michigan in the NCAA. And I'm not saying that because I think that they necessarily deserve to be top three picks, but they've played a considerable amount of games, more than most of their peers. Um, they were already highly ranked. Ma- uh, Matt uh, Beneers, we saw play at the World Junior Championships. Kent Johnson was absolutely ridiculous uh, in the NCAA as a, as a, as a true freshman. Uh, and then you, you have Owen Power as well. And, you know, you, you, you start throwing in like, Carson Lambos and 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 Edvinson as well in 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 Sweden, and these are top guys, right? But there are a lot of other guys that we could have talked about, like Brant Clark, uh, who maybe didn't get the exposure he did, and thankfully went to play in Europe. But it's going to make this draft the biggest crapshoot in the modern era of drafting because there is a lot of data missing for scouting teams. So is that going to make top picks more valuable? I don't think so. I think we're going to see draft picks flying around like hotcakes this year. And this is a good draft to have a multitude of picks. Not because I think there's going to be much more quality. I think last last year's draft and the year prior, 2019 and 2020, were better. But I will say that because of the uncertainty, because it's like playing with fog of war in NHL, where if you don't do enough scouting, you don't have enough data on the players. This is essentially it all the scouting teams will essentially go back to the old school, I have a hunch on this player kind of feeling instead of like long empirical data with like slope curves and progression. So it's going to be interesting. And even for me, I got to say like watching kids, I like I get whatever kind of tape I can get on, on watching prospects. So I, if, if those that are professionally doing this must be ripping out their hair. Uh, and I guess them. we'll see a bunch of surprises like, post drafts or, or even during the draft like a, a guy that was maybe ranked top five if if you what you say is true outside the top three 
is a complete free for all. Right? I think I think the entire draft is a complete free for all. Like I thought the number one pick was a free for all. So if the number one pick has four or five guys that I consider to go number one, um, clearly uh, by pick 10, it's a complete crapshoot. So could be an interesting draft to have, you know, 14 picks. Could be. You know, maybe maybe there's a team out there that, that, that we know that has a couple of, uh, you know, two or three picks per round uh, as of the second round. Maybe. I don't know. I think they're called Montreal. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely going to be intriguing. It's going to change the way we look at the draft because the draft for a lot of people was the most valuable means of asset recycling out there. And I think that this year, because of what's going on and and, and the lack of viewership, uh, it's going to make it a little difficult for scouts. So very interesting. Uh, and I will end the segment by saying it's going to be even more interesting to see how GMs value picks and, you know, here on out uh, until July. Especially that we're going to be getting a very weird trade deadline this year, considering all the, the, the quarantine and the, like, players coming in and out of Canada, right? Especially in Canada. I think if, you'll if see more hockey stands. deals, I think is what you'll see. I think you'll see more permanent deals. Like, you know, a lot of people are, are linking Matthias Ekholm to the Canadians, right? That's because he's got an extra year beyond this point. So, yeah, he could... He'd have quarantine for 10 days unless Jeff Molson sends his private jet, but then you still have him for next year. I think you're going to see more of those trades than you're going to see the typical rental deal. And if it is a I would rental send deal, a jet. I would send a jet too. I would send but a jet. But if it's a rental deal, uh, it'll most likely be for like a peripheral depth role, like a fourth line center that you need for the playoffs or a depth defenseman. No worries. So keeping with the plane theme, let's take off and start discussing about all the NHL action that's taking place this week. And let's actually start off with, uh, no pun intended, but let's get right into it, the Jets, who are Adam's surprise pick of the week. So Adam, do you want to elaborate a little bit more? Tell us why you love the Jets this week. So maybe it's a it's kind of a recency effect because we saw them play like three, four straight games against Montreal. But honestly, the Jets are my surprise of the entire league for the past week. Um, they were right up there, uh, basically second in the division until last night, if I'm not mistaken. And now they're they're a point behind Edmonton with three games, and yeah, they have three games in hand. But uh, yeah, honestly, the Jets, you're, you're we're starting to see Connor Hellebuck, maybe the Connor Hellebuck who uh, who won the Vezina. We're trying to we're starting to see a very strong top six. Uh, with now they they started playing Dubois since he came back from injury on 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 the wing, which which just makes this this top six even more lethal. Uh, but yeah, the the likes of Connors of uh, Ellers, it's and you add that to Dubois and to Wheeler, uh, even Shifley, which I forgot to mention. Yeah, the Jets are very surprising, and now we're really starting to see in that division Toronto Edmonton Winnipeg slowly starting to to gain those top three and solidify the top three spots yeah I'm I'm not as surprised as uh I don't think it's a shocking thing that the Jets are where they are I think they're being carried by their offense at this point um I think the danger with the Jets is when you muzzle that offense when you when you shut down uh that top pair and and, and that top trio and Really, I think that their offense dies 
uh, with with uh, Kyle Connor. Like if you can take Kyle Connor out of the game, uh, then it becomes real difficult. And you saw it. Even Paul Maurice switched Paul Stasny to the wing and put Pierre Luc Dubois at center uh, between Ehlers and Connor uh, because he was trying to get some offense. The last game the Jets played, they lost seven one to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and the reason, one of the main reasons for that, uh, is because the Jets are a team that if you break the connection or the transition between their defense and their offense, it becomes excessively like they're a horrible neutral zone team. That, that that's the best way I could say it. The Jets are a very bad neutral zone team. If it's not the forwards carrying the puck up, you're you're they're done. And I feel like they're a team that can get absolutely eaten alive in the playoffs if Connor Hellebuck isn't standing on his head. And that that's kind of my worry with them is like, are they going through the same kind of like 10 game sequence that they had like 10 games ago where they won they they won seven of their last six of their last seven? Um, you know, is it is it mostly because they were playing teams that were struggling at that time where they you know, were they beating up on on the Senators again and stuff like that? The way I see it, uh, every team in this division is flawed. And the Winnipeg Jets' biggest flaw is the lack of offense that is driven from their defense. And that will always be, hamper them. And I feel like it'll hamper them well into the playoffs. So if they want to stand a chance against, you know, Edmonton or, uh, you know, which has its own plethora of issues and Toronto... Um, definitely they're going to need more from that defense. Let's jump to, uh, well, actually, let's jump to my second surprise of the week, which uh, comes from the Mass Mutual East division, where basically the New York Islanders just caught fire and and, and grabbed the first spot in that division. Uh, so they surpassed the Boston Bruins, which we saw were just on fire. Uh, in the past weeks, and even Washington, uh, given they have a game more pl uh, played more than uh, Washington and two, three than Boston. I, I mean, are we trying? Uh, are we starting to see the Islanders kind of come back to what they were last year in the oh, playoffs? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's we're it's quite obvious. But I mean, you look at you look at who they've played. <laughs> They're they're currently they're 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 currently put putting up a, a five game win streak, right? So then, yeah. if you you know take a look at who who they've played, three of those games were against the Buffalo Sabers. The Buffalo Sabers at this point might as well be an AHL team with Jack Eichel on it. <laughs> it's it's just putrid to watch. Like even uh, Taylor Hall at this point, uh, two goals in twenty three games or something like that. Like it's, I, I'm embarrassed for Sabres fans and I usually don't like Sabres fans uh, because they're perpetually. And we, we saw Barzell just skating yeah, just, circles just, around just them. Like skating circles around Ristolainen and between the leg. Like it's just a dagger to the heart. I feel like, and we talked about this at the beginning, that was a team that was going to crash and burn from the beginning because they un just, you know, like many other teams just did not address their defense. And to this, to the, to the, to the point, the Islanders, you know, they started horribly the first like eight games, nine games of the season and have worked their way up like, like a Barry Trotz team, just, you know, pedal to the metal, work their way up, 
Uh, now they're trying to they're they're starting to find their groove. Barzal is firing on all cylinders, and boom, they're at the top of their division. It's not that difficult when it's this tight and you're constantly playing the same teams to just be able to jump out like that. But tonight's going to be. By the time people hear this, uh, the game will have already been played. But the game tonight with the Islanders versus the Bruins is one I actually circled on my calendar because I I, I am quite intrigued uh, to see because I I think these are the two best teams personally. I think these are the two best teams in the division. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. But it's starting to look a lot like what uh, what I predicted at the beginning of the year where you have the Islanders, the Bruins, um the Capitals and the Penguins uh, sitting around the top of the division. So it is mildly surprising. I'm just kind of happy that the cream rose to the top in that division. I think that's what everybody wanted. Um, are, you know, we, we could talk about another surprise, one that's really been out there for me and one that I did not see coming, and that would be the Chicago Blackhawks yet again. Um, you know, it's pretty insane that, you know, at the beginning we were like, oh, you know, they're third in division, but they have so many games in hand on, on Florida and, and, and Dallas and, and Columbus and Carolina. Well, now things are pretty even and they have a six point lead over Columbus for that fourth spot in the, in the central division with the same amount of games played (laughs) 31 points in 26 games. Who would have thunk it? And really the, the driving factor, and Adam, I'll let you take this away, but the driving factor for this one is Patrick Kane. Is Patrick, Patrick Kane, Kane just not having himself a heart season? I, like, I'm, look, I, has, I don't even know what to say he, at this point. The guy is he, almost a He's point up to 38 a, points. Yeah, almost a point and a half per game at this point. It's just That's, insane. Which is crazy, and and... We also see, like on on Chicago, they well, they were surprised, I think, themselves by by we mentioned them before, Lankin and and Nets, who played very well um, for them this season. And look, we have like Patrick Kane is back to his heart level caliber he was so many years before, and for for the whole division, we're just seeing like even Dallas just. Dallas was supposed to be in the, the top four of this division. And now they're in 20 games, they've won just seven games. They they had a f- perfect 4-0 record at the beginning of the season. So I Chicago just surprises everyone. But then again, you have teams that just disappointed that division. So it's it's really a good for a bad, I guess, in, in that division. Um, lastly, we have, well, the on the West, which... No real surprise in that division. We still have the Vegas Golden Knights leading. Uh, and we also have Minnesota still holding on to a playoff spot. Yeah, the Minnesota Wild. Wow. You got to love it. And especially, like, we talk about, you know, narratives when it comes to teams and whatnot. Minnesota Wild had their season pretty much just stopped, halted because of covid and they were on fire right before, and they've kind of been able to maintain that that process, that flow. Uh, a lot of people's eyes are on, uh, evidently, on on the shrimp, as they call them in the KHL, uh, Kaprizov, um, who is, in my opinion, 
the frontline uh, candidate right now for the rookie of the year. Um, is he a rookie though? That's the debate. Is he a rookie? That's the debate. According to the rules, I mean, he's a rookie. He is. You have a problem yeah. with the rules? Address it with the NHL. I read the rules. <laughs> the rules state he's a rookie, therefore he's eligible for the Calder. If Artemi Panarin can win it without anybody complaining, so can Kirill Kaprizov. So I'm a, yeah. I'm I, the way that I see it. Minnesota has more points than the Colorado Avalanche, ladies and gentlemen. Who would have thunk that? In the same amount of games, it, too. Yeah, like it just wow. And if if it, it, it really like you have to factor in that. And then if if you look at how that's happening, it's a lot of their young players that are really kind of like coming into their own at the same Greenway. time. Greenway is definitely one. Kapo Kakinen, who had a shutout last night, uh, has been an absolute pleasure to watch. Uh, really just kind of building on a season from from last season to this season. Uh, and he's putting up better numbers than Cam Talbot. So again, going with your youth uh, is showing that uh, Minnesota saw well and that Bill Guerin was right in, in, in trading uh, Devin Dubnik. So, you know, right now we look, it's Kaprizov leading the team. Greenway is, is second in scoring. Uh, you know, Marcus Foligno is a great veteran to have around. Matt Zuccarello is at a point per game when healthy. And then Joel Eriksson, Jonas Brodin, Kevin Fiala, uh, you know, Victor Rask uh, is kind of having a decent season as well. So they're doing quite well, in my opinion. The only thing that I am concerned about is that if you want to be at the top of this division, if you really want to be able to hang with the St. Louis and the Vegas in this division, well, then you're going to need even more firepower. You're going to need to be even more consistent uh, when it comes to playing those top teams. So it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, it's a tight, it's a nice tight race. Um, and then you just kind of have San Jose that decided, yeah, we're going to tank now. And I'm going to be very intrigued at trade deadline to see what San Jose does and this offseason because I think that their rebuild has begun. Even Anaheim, I mean, they have a point more than San Jose, yeah, but, but they, they, they played three more games. Anaheim, which is... Anaheim was going to suck this year. I think we all knew that. <laughs> I think they're they're well into their rebuild. And I'd keep an eye on Anaheim because, you know, they're going to be finishing. I think they're going to probably be picking top five in this draft. There are a lot of uh, defensemen at the top end of this draft. I'd keep an eye out on, on Hampus Lindholm on that team just to see what happens to him at trade deadline. Just saying. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, you get all your NHL action um, all recapped in the perfect manner that you would always want from the show. Uh, let's get to your last uh, C-block information here where we get you all the odds and ends. And we want to start off actually with a big signing, uh, not necessarily on the ice, but off-ice signing that we're extremely excited about. Julian McKenzie, friend of the show. Uh, you might know him from a bunch of different podcasts, including the Waterboys podcast and uh, about last night column that's at the Montreal Gazette. But he has just been signed to The Athletic, and we're super excited. He's going to be an editor over there, along with a contributing uh, writer role as well. So we're so happy for you, Julian. Muzzle tough. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Uh, anything else you always want to add before we move on to the next item? Well, I mean, I think we, we can all say that Julian deserved this uh, a long time ago, and it's, it's fun to see him being rewarded with the job offer now. So 
cheers to him. Can't see, but I'm lifting my glass. Um, honestly, it's going to be fun to see uh, the athletic uh, be given top uh, top billing now that Julian has joined their brand. Amen to that. Julian, well-deserved. And The Athletic, good move on actually signing Julian. Uh, he, I, he needed to be signed to an amazing team, and I'm so glad he's with The Athletic because I'll be able to read his bylines every morning. All right, uh, from there, we did talk about other hirings. Let's talk about the Flames hiring somebody from the past and returning with uh, Daryl Sutter. So, Adam, do you want to take us off with this story? Yeah, so they basically hired, uh, they well, they fired uh, Jeff Ward, who was uh, their head coach. They hired Daryl Sutter, and they... I believe they signed him right away to a three-year deal, uh, which basically says he's he's not coming in as a temporary basis. He's he's here to win, and he's here to basically put Calgary back on the map. Uh, and I mean, if if he, he he he's done it with the Kings, right? So maybe we have a surprise coming in the North Division. So. Could be fun. It could be very fun. Um, but I, I, I read about a couple of rumors about some of the players not giving the respect to Ward and to the previous coaches as well. Do you think that this, the suitors being or of Daryl being hired in this particular role, that's the ownership saying, like, listen, we're going back to that old style hockey. You're not going to disrespect the coaching management in this way. We're going to make sure you do all the basics. Is that what's happening here, Marco? Yeah, well, I, I look, Daryl Sutter is an expert at this point. He could he could pretty much come in and, and do what he wants. Um he pretty much came in uh, with the LA Kings and was like, oh, yeah, this is how you were taught. You know nothing now. So it's uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, it's the second time around in Calgary. I mean, geez, Montreal just finished having a, 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 like a, a Groundhog Day scenario where they fired Michel Therrien, replaced him with Claude Julien again, and now finally just got rid of Claude Julien and Dominic Ducharme is in, and and you know already we see the Canadians kind of trending upward in terms of their uh, five on five play. Their 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 full sixty minutes. Their issue is the the other five um, in Montreal. Hopefully they could do the same for Calgary and really kind of lift them up because in a season where trades aren't as liquid as usual, your only options are to are are to replace, uh, you know your personnel. We've seen a few teams do that already, uh, but it's interesting with Calgary. So hopefully they turn it around. But again, Calgary has greatly disappointed me this year. I thought that they were primed to be uh, one of the top three teams in the division. So we'll see what comes of it, but uh, definitely expect more from their top guys. And first practice uh, with Calgary this morning, he actually backskated the whole team. So that's that's uh, I guess a change of <laughs> that's uh, literally what I was referencing. I was like, you're going back to basics if you're doing that. Uh, and anyways, I'll think no need to go back to basics for Mr. Kane because he is going to be playing in his thousandth game tonight. Uh, we actually kind of alluded this to earlier, and actually, um, I'll throw it over to you, Adam. What, what are your thoughts about this? Well, what better way to to play in your thousand game than just Picking up the second spot in, in NHL scoring. Uh, it just feels like he's been doing it his whole career, and I guess he's not done yet. No, he's not. And I think it's... I'm going to say it on, on air, and you guys can quote me for this, but he is the best American-born hockey player of all time. Just hands down. I've had the pleasure of watching Patrick Kane since I was 15 years old. Been 15 years. You guys do the math. And... I have never been disappointed 
you know, a lot of people point to Jonathan Taves as being like the heart and soul of the Chicago Blackhawks. No, Jonathan Taves never won a heart. Sorry, Patrick Kane, in my honest opinion, is our generation's Mike Medano in terms of American hockey excellence. He is hands down untouchable. The only player that comes to my like the only players that come to my mind when I think of Patrick Kane and and U.S. hockey from the past are like the Jeremy Roenicks, uh, the Mike Medanos, and I he, I think he's above them. I think he's accomplished more. I think he's in in an era where, you know, he pioneered the little guy persevering. Uh, you know, Martin St. Louis was kind of there, but Patrick Kane came in as the game was changing and was like, yeah, no, no, no. You're going to have to keep up with me, not the other way around. And, you know, relatively healthy his entire career, uh, consistent, uh, never really had a strong dip in production and produced with relatively everybody. And he's had more centers than, 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 you know, most wingers can, can, can dream of. And none of them were of, you know, crazy quality. He always made those around him better. And he's got three cups to show for it. Um, Unfortunately for him, he's got no Olympics to show for it, but I can I can definitely appreciate that. Um, but he he's pretty much done it all. Um, so to me, Patrick Kane, best American player of all time, and enjoy it, enjoy it while we still can. He's got five, six, seven years left, uh, and he's doing it at an elite level. So. I, I just sit here in awe every time. Speaking of enjoying uh, a life to the fullest, uh, Brent Seabrook has just announced his retirement. The Blackhawks put on a nice statement about this. So, Adam, uh, lead us through this. What do we need to know? So, basically, Seabrook had to retire after uh, 15 NHL seasons, I believe, due to injury. Um, and honestly, the past couple years ha- hadn't been easy for him. He was uh, basically involved in, in trade rumors, even like... He was uh, healthy scratched a couple times as well. But uh, all in all, just a great season for one of one of the most respected defensemen of his era, as uh, many would say around the league. And uh, I mean, enjoy retirement. I think that this is a long time coming. I think we were talking about it, uh, you know, a while ago. Um, for me, you know, when I look at... Um, when I look at the idea, the concept, um, it made us a lot of sense. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, I, I would have to agree with Adam on this one. And finally, we have, uh, unfortunately, another suspension. And unfortunately, to the same person we have to talk about. And that's Tom Wilson, suspended for seven games by the NHL Department of Player Safety. Um, this happened on Saturday, if I remember correctly. And in any case, that's the fifth suspension for the Capitals forward uh, all in since September 2017. Uh, Marco, what do we need to know? And obviously, I mean, this was all happened because of the boarding incident against uh, Brandon Carlo uh, placed with the Boston Bruins on Friday night. So what do we need to know? What, what's the key thing? And I think obviously it starts off with the fact that Wilson didn't even get a penalty on the play. Yeah. So look, on ice officiating is on ice officiating. They're humans are going to make mistakes. Now, player safety. Now I got a, I got more than one bone to pick with you. You have the benefit of multiple camera angles. 
a plethora of expertise. The post-event consequence to the player involved in that dangerous play. And yet, this is the first major suspension you hand out this season? I don't even think Tom Wilson is the most embarrassing situation in here. It's player safeties and inconsistencies. We have had headshot after headshot after headshot and a rolling hit which started in the torso and hit the head and then forced Brandon Carlo to go to the hospital, which, before anybody shoots me, is a suspendable hit. And you only give a suspension because he's a repeat offender? Come on. Like, NHL, do better. At this point in time, a a regular fan looks at this and goes, that is suspendable, but... The the blatant elbow on Kakaniemi was not suspended. It's it's basically you're giving what? games for his name at his point uh, for his rep. You're giving games yeah, for reputation, that's... exactly. And again, we need to kill that. Players are not dirty simply because they're stupid. That's a minority of people in which Tom Wilson is part of. Now, for the rest of the NHL. It's case-by-case situations. I don't care if the guy has a squeaky clean resume. Is the play suspendable? Yes. Then give a game or two. That's the only way you're going to curb that kind of situation. By creating a rep based on following your rules to the T, that's how you're going to create precedence, in which case you'll be able to you know, dish out harsher punishments for those... On the fence players, Tom Wilson is a lost cause. Tom Wilson is like the Rafi Torres of, of, of the 2010s and 2020s. He's just too many concussions in his life. He's consistently going to make the same stupidity of a mistake, which is always go too hard on a vulnerable player. But you need to attack those individuals that have the thought in their head and 50% of the time say, I probably shouldn't. And 50% of the time say, let's do it anyway. You need to, you need to get them because more often than not, it's not the repeat offenders that have more hits and, and more dangerous hits. It's the plethora of individuals you don't expect it from. And those players need to be singled out immediately and handled. So to me, Watching Tom Wilson get seven games and then not, you know, deciding to not appeal it, that, that's totally fine. But don't you dare, don't, don't come to tell me that this is consistent with the rulings, is all I gotta say. That's the thing. I, I feel like seven games is fair for him, just f- like where he's at in his career and his, his rep, as we mentioned, is just kind of ridiculous you have you have i think it was fiala in the beginning of the year who got five games for boarding someone from basically from behind and the guy just breaking his skull into the boards mm-hmm. right so it's it's yes seven games may be fair due to his reputation and and, 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 the and what he did in the past but also the consequence but i i feel like we should see more suspensions if that hit resulted in one right that's yeah i just i'm 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 of the same ilk i just feel like you don't need to go to the hospital to warrant of suspension you know what i mean like you don't need to be carted off on on a on a gurney or taken to hospital via ambulance for the play to necessitate a suspension ultimately like the iihf has it right 
Headshot, one game suspension. F you. Boom. And then we'll assess the consequences. But the NHL is just... I, I understand you don't want to change too much of the game because it takes away from its flow. It's going to become like football where you can barely touch the quarterback. Like I get it. I get it. But you just settled a concussion lawsuit. We are going more and more into this notion of uh, consciousness when it comes to you know brain damage, uh, which you know stems predominantly from illegal hits. You're doing the game, the product, a disservice because you're losing legitimacy and your ability to curb behavioral patterns that are deemed illegal. Do better, be more consistent, and stop punishing people or not based on the reputation. Simple as that. Couldn't have said it up better myself. And in fact, that's why you did it, because you were way better at this, Marco. Thanks so much, everybody, for taking a listen to our Hockey Flow episode this week. I'm Adrian Cordero. I'm going to give you a shout out to a couple of things that you should be checking out. First of all, our Twitter page at Da Hockey Flow. That's D A H O C K E Y F L O W on Twitter. You can check out Marco's amazing work at scrimmagestats.com. And of course, at The Hockey Expert. And Adam can be found at Really Adam B on Twitter. We'll catch you guys next week. Take care.